We on? Good. Hey, it's good to be here with you guys. Uh, really honored to be back uh, that you would have me last semester and then think to, to extend that invitation again. So the fact that I'm back uh, means it didn't just totally flop last semester. Uh, and so that's good. Uh, if you're sort of here and you weren't here last semester uh, and you have no idea who I am and I'm a complete stranger before you tonight, uh, my name is Chad Kinser and I serve uh, uh, among the Longhorns. Judge me later, please. Uh, in Austin, Texas, at the Austin Stone Community Church, and uh, I have had um, a lot of friends say a lot of great things about this ministry. Uh, one of your very own, Logan Walter. You know Logan? He's actually my small group leader at my church, uh, and so I'm connected to Logan, and he uh, raves about this ministry. And so the fact that I get to be a part of this uh, tonight is a, is a real honor. And I even told Robbie C. backstage he was leading worship at camps when I was a student, and so when I found out that I was going to be like partnering with him tonight, I kind of was a little bit starstruck. I'm like, I'm not sure how I'm going to do that. This is the Robbie C., you know. Uh, So uh, all around, it's a real privilege to be here tonight uh, and really for the next few weeks. So we're going to have three weeks together, uh, and I'm really excited about that. And I thought before I kind of dive into this whole wisdom thing, which Dale set up really, really well, uh, I wanted to show you a little bit where I'm from and the people that mean most to me. So I brought a few pictures of my family, which are on the screen that I can't see. Uh, over here. Uh, yeah, so I've got uh, a wife of 10 years in March, uh, and I've got three kids. These are my two daughters. Uh, Liv Grace is the one uh, on, the, on the right, and she's our five-year-old, and then Scarlett Joy, our three-year-old, and then my, uh, the chip off the old block, <laughs> Lil Ezra. Man, he, uh, he has my heart, and he's rocking top shelf just like dad, uh, with that top button. And uh, mom had him like that, and he came to church last Sunday, and I just, I just lost it. I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm done. Like, I just need to stand here and behold this greatness of my son. So, uh, so yeah, that's my tribe. That's my family. These people mean everything to me. Uh, and so this is a little bit of what shapes me into the man I am today uh, and the man that you'll sort of get over the next few weeks because my family has everything to do with almost every sermon illustration that I use, right? So I think my, my kids later in life are going to need some therapy for that, um, but uh, hopefully I preach well enough to pay for it. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, uh, really, really glad to be here, as I said, because I know beyond the other connections I have, I know what nights like this can mean for you, you know? Uh, when I was in your chair as a college student is really when God began to wreck my life like over and over and over again. Uh, to really leading me to where I'm still following Jesus today. I, I know what seasons of, of life like this can mean for you because I know what it meant for me. And, and my prayer is over the next few weeks, uh, we're not going to accomplish everything. We're not going to walk out of here like the wisest people in the world. So in case you were thinking that's what's going to happen after three weeks on wisdom, that's not going to happen. But hopefully what happens over the next few weeks uh, is that God would begin by his spirit to just, just drop, place drops in our bucket, you know. Uh, that steadily over time accumulate, that we would spill over into a life of following Jesus. That's my hope uh, for the next few weeks we have together. And, and we're going to do that through this issue, this topic of wisdom. As Dale said, uh, there's an entire book of the Bible given to it. And this is honestly where most of us spend uh, our lives. We're trying to figure out how to live. We're trying to figure out what decisions we ought to make or which decisions not to make. We're also then making those decisions and then have sub- having subsequent FOMO, right? Like, did I make the right decision? Did I make the wrong decision? Is there something else out there for me that I'm missing out on? Oh my gosh, am, am I going to be okay in all of this? And I'll just tweet rapidly and hopefully somehow I get some comments back and someone helps me out in life, right? This is kind of where we live because most of the decisions we make uh, don't have a chapter and verse attached to them. Most of our day-to-day decisions 
don't have a chapter or verse of the Bible attached to them. And so sometimes this can cause us to come to the Bible a little bit frustrated. Because maybe you believe the Bible and you heard somewhere along the way that it's the roadmap to life. But then you sort of come to these big decisions in your life and you're like, I, I don't see her name in there and like date party date next to it. I don't see his name in there and husband next to it. I, I don't see that entrepreneur word as uh, Dale said earlier and my career trajectory attached to it. So, so what do I do? How do I know which way to go? Well, it's when all of this comes down, this is where we get the issue of wisdom. Because the Bible does have things to say about those things, but it casts us into a much larger light of living a life grounded by God's word in wisdom. You ready for it? Let's do it. If you've got a Bible, Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8, we'll read a passage of scripture, and then we'll go on from there. Proverbs 8. We'll read verses 10 through 17. I think the words will be on the screen as well. The word of Christ speaks to us like this. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance and the way of evil. And perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. And by me kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me princes rule and nobles and all who govern justly. I love those who love me. And those who seek me diligently find me. Well, this week as I was uh, preparing for the next few weeks we're going to have together in this series, it had me thinking about... Uh, that first time I asked my wife on a date. It was our junior year of college, spring semester. We had been hanging out for a while in various sort of overlapping circles. And I had come to the place where I thought, okay, this is the girl that I'm going to pursue. And we're going to see what happens with this. And so I kind of mustered up all the courage it would take. And I put all my logistical, you know, sort of uh, administrative skills to task. And I planned a night where I was just going to very casually, very normally as though it was in the flow of my normal life, just, just ask her out on a date. And you all know, if you've asked her on a date, that it always happens very casually, very normally, without any awkwardness, right? It happens that way. No, it doesn't. Uh, so I planned this night where uh, we grew up in Oklahoma. We went to school in Weatherford, Oklahoma, an hour west of Oklahoma City. So I planned this night where uh, my roommate and I would, uh, would meet my wife's roommate and her uh, at a restaurant in Oklahoma City. And then the whole plan was going to work that on the way back, my roommate, my wingman, was supposed to make sure that Emberly was in the car with me, my wife, uh, then just friend, uh, was supposed to be in the car with me, and he was going to be in the other car so we could drive back separately. We could be in a car for an hour together, and in that hour, I was going to ask her out on a date. So dinner goes great. Conversation's moving. We're having a great time. We're just living life as friends as we do. Then we get to the cars and the whole negotiation happens. Oh, no, I have to go to this place. Can you go with me and Aaron over there? Emberly, you should really go with Chad. And it's like, yeah, this is working out. Wingman, you know, fist pump in the air. She's in my car. We're headed back. We got an hour on I-40 in Oklahoma for me to ask this girl on a date. And we get in the car. We're heading back to Weatherford, back to our college campus. 
and the conversation's moving. Laughs are happening. Things are feeling great. We're talking about whatever. And I get off at the exit, and I've managed to talk to, talk to her about everything under the sun, except my interest in her and to get her on a date. Uh, and so I'm like, man, I've epically failed as I'm getting off the exit. And so we pull up to our campus. I remember thinking, I, I can't just, this, this was fun, see ya. Like, I can't just do that, you know? So I thought, hey, hey, you want to you wanna take a walk around campus? Because that's something we normally do together. <laughs> and she goes, yeah, yeah, we'll do that. So we start taking this big lap around, like, the outside of our campus, you know? And uh, we, again, conversation's moving, laughs are happening. I'm super funny, apparently. <laughs> and uh, we're just, we're making our way around campus. And it's getting a little chilly out, so the inside is starting to shake a little bit, you know. But you're, you're fine because you're warm with conversation, you know. And so we're making our way around campus, and we get back to where we started. And uh, the date still hasn't come up. And, like, I'm just paralyzed with shyness at this point. Like, I'm just, I'm ruined with, like, I'm not sure how to get this out. And so we kind of get back and I kind of turn to her and I lock my eyes with hers. And I said, uh, you want to take another lap? <laughs> and she said, yeah. So, so we start off on a lap again, because this is what we normally do. Like we just take midnight laps of campus and, uh, always. And so we kind of make our way around campus. 30 minutes later, we're landing there at the library where we started the whole journey, because of we're wise and full of wisdom, and, uh, and no date uh, came up in that lap either. So I turned to her and I said, one more again? No, 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 I didn't, I didn't. We didn't do third lap. But I stood there and it was awkward silence for a while, and uh, I start kind of meandering my foot around in circles, you know, like, like you see on movies, and uh, with a real shy, dorky kid asking a girl on a date. I'm him, and so I, I finally got it out. I said, would you go on a, on a date with me? And she goes, yeah. Uh, she didn't laugh, though, but I just, I'm thinking like, <laughs> I'm thinking like in, in my mind to her at that moment, what was all of this, you know? Like, what, what was all of this? And so she says, yeah. And so I remember going, okay, see ya. <laughs> like, and we just went back, and well, here's what was crazy. We like went back to our apartments. We shared an alley together, but we walked back like separately. Uh, because I had no idea how to like close the deal after that, shake hands uh, or something like that. I, I don't know. Uh, you, fig- you thought I would have figured it out at, by 20 years old, and I was, I was still clueless. So, um, so I went back to my dorm, uh, or my apartment rather, and I was just, I was thrilled. Kind of. I was kind of thrilled, and, and here's why. So at this point, I had been following Jesus for, for about four years, and uh, and I wanted everything in my life to be right with God, you know? Like, I wanted everything in my life to be wrapped around God, and I wanted my whole life to sort of be following God. And, and so I got back to my dorm, and I wanted to thank God that he helped me make that thing happen, you know? And then I started getting this anxiety in my chest as I bowed my head. And it was like, well, how do I know if this is the one? Like, how do I know if this is God's will? Maybe he's going to break us up. God, don't break us up. I just took me two laps, you know? Like... Give me two dates at least, a date for each lap, you know? Uh, and I'm starting to like go, God, how is this going to work? And how do I know? And is she the one? How, how's that supposed to feel? And, and, and when's that going to happen? How will I know what's going to happen? Is, what's going to happen, God? How, how do I know about all of this? And I remember just having just, just weird anxiety and 
consequently, we end up breaking up six times. And so in case some of you are in here like, oh man, I thought my relationship was a wreck. Um, ours was probably worse, but we made it, you know? So uh, hang in there. Um, but it's like, how do I know, you know? And I had all this anxiety about the decisions I was making. And maybe some of you can relate to that. Maybe you're the kind of indecisive kind that just, you want to get it all right and you want to make sure to have all your ducks in a row and to never make a mistake. And you just wish sometimes God would sort of put it there on a page for you. Like when you wake up in the morning and kind of all your five-year plan is like lined out and you're like, I can nail this in the ground, right, God? Like it's going to go down like this. No surprises, right? Like maybe that's some of you. Maybe there's others of you and, and sort of your that's not your struggle at all. Like you're, you're a no level thinking like of uncertainty when things happen. When it comes to the questions of life, like do I date her? Do I marry him? Uh, where do I live? What career path do I take? Do I, do, I, do I take a risk here? Do I play it safe? Do I confront this person or do I just, just back off a little bit? When it comes to those kinds of questions, there's others of you, you're not measured or calculated at all. There's, there's some of you in the room that you're the kind of person that just kind of says, I don't know, it felt good in the moment, so I did it. You're the kind of person that says, I I don't know, it just seemed right. And so I thought, what's the worst that can happen? Like, it doesn't happen the way I wanted it to, and so I just move on from there. Like, that's the kind of person others of you are. You're the the roll-the-dice, spontaneous kind. But here's what I know. Wherever you are, like, whether or not you're the measured kind and indecisive and nervous a bit, or you're the spontaneous roll-the-dice, let's just see what happens kind, what I do know is that for everyone in the room... God is asking those who would follow Jesus to walk in a manner of wisdom. He's asking all of us to walk in a manner of wisdom, in a wisdom that is tied to him. So that even though there are some places in scripture where you're not going to find Waco, Texas, and that girl's name, or that professor's class offering... There's also a way where God is speaking to his people, where he's going to give us some foundational things to build our life on that spring us up then into a life of wisdom rooted in Jesus, right? So that's what I want us to talk about for the next few weeks. And tonight I want to shape our time that we have, the rest of our time together, around three simple questions as we approach the kind of this issue of wisdom. Number one, what is wisdom? What is wisdom? The second question, how do we get wisdom? So now, if we know what it, what, what it is, the beginning, how do I get it? And the last question we'll try to tackle is, how do I grow in wisdom? So what is it? How do I get it? And how can I grow in it? Right? That's, that's how we'll shape our time together. So the first question, what is wisdom? Look back at, at Proverbs chapter 8, where we started, verses 10 and 11. It says this. It says, Take my instruction instead of silver, And knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels. And all that you may desire cannot compare with her. So Proverbs begins speaking about this this thing of wisdom. And it says it's, it's worth more than silver. It's worth more than choice gold. It's worth more than fine jewels. In fact, there's nothing that you can desire that will compare with wisdom. Nothing you can desire can compare with wisdom. So think about the things you desire for a second. Power, wealth, comfort, companionship, intimacy. The list could go on, right? The things that you desire, the things that are like are pounding in your chest with impulses all the time. The scriptures are now speaking to us and says there's nothing that you can desire that can compare with wisdom. 
The question is why? Why? Well, look at verses 15 and 16. It says this. It says, By me kings reign, and rulers decree what is just, and by me princes rule, and all nobles, and all who govern justly. So here's what it says. The reason why it's more valuable than anything you could ever desire is because of the frequency with which you use it to live your everyday life. Like, what good is it to be a king if you don't know how to reign? What good is it to be a noble or one who governs if you don't know how to do it justly? This is why wisdom is is to be greatly desired. And, And here's what's wild about wisdom. So much of what we're talking about tonight is actually something that you already know intuitively. Things that you already, by the, your own instincts of your common human experience, already know. So here's, here's an example. You know that generally speaking, generally speaking, those who work hard, they flourish, right? Those who put in effort, those who work hard, those who have a good, strong work ethic, generally they prosper. And conversely, those who are lazy, who don't put in effort, generally they, what? They, they reap the consequences of that. Right? So, so that's, a, that's a wisdom thing. You're recognizing there's a way the world works. There, there's a way the world operates. And wisdom says, I want to come into alignment with that. So, so I, I see just generally, that's an that's a easy example I give of someone who works hard and someone who's lazy. But you're recognizing by little things like that, there's a way the world works. There's a way relationship works. There's a way that the world works. There's a pattern I see And wisdom says, okay, I see what's happening. Now I want to align my life with it. And the Proverbs, they come along and they agree with this. So on the screen, you're going to find Proverbs 12. It says this about the the hard worker. It says, the hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to forced labor. Okay, so you go, yeah, I, I knew that already. I don't know that I need the Bible to tell me that. But yet the Bible's coming in to affirm what your common experience already testifies to. Now look at the next one. Just a few verses later, I love the way this one reads. Proverbs 12, 27. It says, Whoever is slothful will not roast his own game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. I love the way it says that. Like The slothful man has some game, apparently. I think it's talking about a dead animal. But he has some game. Dead animal game, strong. Uh... The slothful man has some game, but he doesn't even roast it. He doesn't even eat it. He doesn't take advantage of it. He leaves behind the opportunities even given to him, but the diligent man, he prospers. So again, you didn't need the Bible to tell you this tonight. You've seen this play out. You've seen lazy people get nothing, and you've seen people who work hard get something for their hard work. Generally speaking, that's a pattern. You see it. But what's happening when the Bible speaks to the common experiences of wisdom that's intuitive to you, what it's telling you is that's not random. Like it's not an accident the way that you see relationships work, sexuality work. It's not, a, it's not random the way you see even money work and wisdom with money. It's not an accident. These things are hardwired into the fabric of the pattern that God, now the Bible's speaking to it, that God made and designed for the world to work in a certain way. And so when the Bible speaks these things, wisdom is, okay, God made it this way, I live my life according to it. God made it this way, I live my life according to it. And so this is wisdom. But there's some of you who are hearing me and you go, wait, 
it sounds like you're just talking about common sense. Like, like that's common sense, not wisdom. And, and, and you'd be right to argue that. But here's how I would come back on that. So there are certain things in the world around us that are common to all people. Even non-believers get work ethic, for example. Even they get it. But that's God's grace to us to make things common to our senses. That's God's grace to us to make things common to our senses, common graces to even believers and non-believers alike. But what the scriptures are coming forward and talking about with the issue of wisdom is that, yes, there's these common places of wisdom, but there's a deeper kind of wisdom that God is calling those who would follow him to align themselves with, and it's a kind of wisdom that can only be accessed through trusting him and obeying him. Through trusting him and obeying him. This gets us to our second question. Okay, so now that I know what wisdom is, wisdom is seeing the way the world works and aligning your life with it. That's what wisdom is. Okay, I get it. And God's the designer. Now, how can I get wisdom? How can I get wisdom? The Bible's really, really clear on this. Proverbs 1.7. It says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now, you're going, that's not wisdom, that's knowledge. Is there a difference? Well, Proverbs 9.10 says it almost the same way. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So the way you get wisdom, the way you begin to see the way the world works according to how God designed it and live according to it, is the fear of the Lord. Like, that's how you get wisdom wisdom. So you go say, oh, what does that mean? Like, what does fear of the Lord mean? Well, the best way I know to talk about what it means to fear the Lord is to live your life acknowledging and submitting to God as king and as ultimately authoritative. That's the best way I know how to say, here's, here's defined the, the fear of the Lord, living your life acknowledging and submitting to God as king and ultimate authority. And so the best way I know how to illustrate this is, is the way I've taught my children to understand the street. Now, now, I don't want my daughters or my son with his top shelf button to have a horrific sort of fear of the street. I don't want that. I want him to engage the street. I want my daughters to engage the street, but I want them to do so understanding what the street is. So I want them to come up to the sidewalk, and I want them to understand, hey, listen, if you run out here thoughtlessly, carelessly, if you run out here without looking, bad things can happen. We don't have a dog named Luther anymore because he didn't do what he should have done with the streets, right? My five-year-old daughter thinks he's still sleeping, uh, and we want to keep it that way. So uh, anyways, but I want her to have a healthy fear of the street, right? Some of you are like, that was demented, dude. Can you move on from that? I am. Okay, so here we go. Uh, So the street, right? Like I want to teach them how how the street works. Now, there's a healthy fear of the street. Don't just run out there. Don't just thoughtlessly uh, uh, run into the street because something bad might happen. Yet, the street is not a place to be scared of. And the same is true with God. We, we want to be thoughtful as we approach the king of the universe. We want to be thoughtful as we acknowledge the one who has ultimate authority, who when he speaks, it goes. We don't want to just run into his presence without looking. We want to recognize whose presence we're coming into, that it's both a comfort and it's both a directive in our life. Right? 
And so we have a healthy fear of God. I, I revere him. I submit to him. I acknowledge him. I'm not cavalier with him as though he's just my homeboy, right? He's a friend, but he's also the reigning king, father of all. And so fearing the Lord means this. I have a fear of ever trying to find my comfort, my joy, or my hope anywhere else because I know I can't find them anywhere else. And so I fear God rightly in a healthy way, knowing that I can't just go anywhere else and get the things only he can provide. Another way of saying it is fearing God means having this healthy sort of view of him where you begin to live your whole life saying, you're authoritative, you're ultimate, you're supreme, I just want you. That's the fear of the Lord. And so the reason the scriptures are saying now that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the reason the scriptures say that is because when you begin to fear God this way, when you begin to acknowledge him this way and submit to him this way, you're beginning to see God for who he is. You're also beginning to see yourself for who you are in relationship to him as one who needs him and is dependent on him, even if you don't think so in a moment. And then you say, okay, I now want to order my life around every one of your words. That's why the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You see God for who he is, and you see yourself for who you are in relationship to him. And you go, what you say goes. That's the beginning of wisdom. That's the beginning of seeing how the world works. And this lands us at our final question tonight. So what is wisdom? It's seeing there's a way the world works. There's a pattern through which God has made the world to work and you align yourself to it. How do you get it? You fear the Lord. How do you grow in wisdom? And this is a huge question for us tonight. This is a huge question because there's not a single person in here who says, you know what, as I get older, as the years go by, I want to grow less and less wise. Like, that's no one in here tonight. Like, no one says, I, wisdom was a thing, but it's overrated. I just want to be dumb. Like, that's, no one's doing that. If you are, Dale wants to talk to you. He, he really, really does, right? Um, and, and I do too, for that matter. So, uh, yeah, so, so no one's saying, no, no one's saying, I, I don't want wisdom. And so the question, how do I grow in wisdom? How, how do I get more wisdom? How do I see more of the way the world works? How do I see more of who God is and who I am in relationship to him? In order to answer this question, We've got to drill down into the heart of the pattern that God designed all of creation. So go back to Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8, beginning in verse 22. Look at what it says. It says, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, and the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up, at first before the beginning of the earth. Where there were no depths, I was brought forth where there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the foundations of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters might not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman. 
and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. So did you notice something strange happening about wisdom as I read that passage? Did you notice anything strange? The thing I'm speaking of is that if you read it rightly, if you tracked with me, wisdom was talking here. Wisdom was talking like a person. Look again at verse 27. It says, when he established the heavens, I was there. Look again at verses 29 and 30. He says, when he assigned the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked up the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman. So in these verses, wisdom is speaking like a person. Wisdom is personified. And if you know much of scripture, this begins to sound a lot like John chapter 1. John chapter 1, look at it, the first three verses. In the beginning was the word. Who's the word here? Yeah, Sunday school was good to us, huh? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 3, all things were made through Him, and without Him not anything was made that was made. So do you see what's happening here? All of a sudden, Proverbs 8 and John 1 fit together in the person of Jesus Christ. So, so, So track with me here. This is huge, right? So wisdom, it's true. It's a pattern and a way that that the world was designed to work. But listen, that pattern and that way is not static. It's personal. There's a pattern and a way the world was designed to work so that wisdom isn't something that you just go get and acquire. Wisdom is a person that you come to know. Wisdom isn't just something that you can go get, although the fear of the Lord is the beginning of it. You get the fear of the Lord and the beginning of wisdom by coming to know the person of wisdom, Jesus Christ. This is is so huge for us. In fact, there's a couple of verses that say it this way. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30 says this, And because of him you are in Christ Jesus. And look how it describes Christ Jesus here, Paul. He said, Who has become for us, Wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Colossians 2, 3. Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He is the person of wisdom. And here's why this is such good news. Because everyone in the room tonight is looking for wisdom. In fact, everyone on this campus, everyone on the planet is looking for the good life, huh? Everyone's looking for a way to live. Everyone's looking for how do I move forward? This is why any bookstore you go to or hop on Amazon, the largest selection of books is what? It's self-help. It's self-help. Everyone's looking for wisdom. Everyone's trying to go find it. And you and I, even if it sounded bizarre to you or blew your mind a little bit that wisdom's not a thing but a person, even if that blew your mind you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because every one of us already operate this way. We just often tend to see ourselves as the person of wisdom, right? We often tend to see whatever I want, however I want it, whenever I want it, the way I want to get it, it's going to happen. We tend to default to ourselves as the person 
of wisdom. And so we get this. We get this by default. But the scriptures are coming to us tonight. And Jesus is standing up in the scriptures saying, I'm wisdom. All you who are weary and burdened, come to me and I'll give you rest. You don't have to figure it out anymore. You don't have to go find yourself. You once were lost, but come to me and you will be found. You once were blind, but I'll help you to see. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. You can't get to the Father but by me. So Jesus is standing up. He's saying wisdom is available to you. But it's not something I'm just giving out. I'm giving you myself. I want you. And you want me. You know you do when you're most honest with yourself. It's not found anywhere else. So as we wrap up, as good as that news is, that wisdom is made available in Jesus to us, there's a problem. And here's the problem. And I want you to kind of be honest with yourself enough tonight to answer this question. If it were possible for you to have your life's questions answered and your problem solved and you could do so without going to Jesus, would you? If you could have your life's questions answered and all your problems solved, but it meant you could bypass Jesus, would you? You see, I know the place that I'm pierced when I ask this question is that very often, very often the temptation of my chest and the groaning of my mind wants to say, you mean if, I, if there was some place where I could get my questions answered faster and on my timetable, I might just cash in Jesus. I might just do it. And that often reveals where you and I are with really seeing how the world works. The truth is, you've run around enough, and so have I, to know that the things you're looking for can't be found anywhere else but the person of wisdom himself, Jesus the Christ. And see, here's what's so beautiful about God. He knows this about us. This is why he gave us wisdom and he's offering it to us in the best possible way. He didn't just give it to us with like a list of rules, a list of do's and don'ts. Although some of you think the Bible is that, it's actually not. God knew that we would want to chase wisdom around in every place other than Jesus, but he's now offering it to us in Jesus so that we have to deal with him. How gracious is God in that? Even though you want to run around on wisdom, wisdom's not moving and God will make you deal with him. How gracious is that? Because in the end, you don't really want a list. In the end, you want a person. That's the groaning longing of every human soul. That's why we flip out over loneliness and relationships all the time. You want a person. Good news, that's wisdom. Good news, that's wisdom. And so growing in wisdom then, here's the big finish, Growing in wisdom means beginning to see more and more Jesus at the center and then orbiting your life around him. Coming to know his words, coming to know his character, coming to know his voice as laid out in the scriptures and then patterning your life after his pattern of life. Again, as laid out in scripture. And so 
growing in wisdom isn't about learning a bunch of stuff and having this storehouse of knowledge so much as it's about becoming obedient to what you already know. You hear that? Wisdom isn't so much about learning a bunch of stuff about Jesus so much as it's becoming obedient and beginning to pattern your life around what he's already revealed to you, what you already know. Some of you think that growing in Christ is just being able to break down Wayne Grudem and systematic theology, and I've got all of my ologies together. No, no, no. Growing in Christ is becoming obedient to Christ. That's, that's growing in wisdom. That's growth. And that has everything to do with the deepest questions that you're now asking tonight. Who do I date? Who do I marry? What job do I take? What do I study? Where do I live? Do I take this risk? Do I not? You see, when we begin to see Jesus as the person of wisdom, we begin to see that being loved by him and loving him is everything. And so then those questions begin to be framed up, not so much as, can I do this or should I do this? But they begin to be framed up, what's going to put me most directly in his path? Because I just want him. Just give me him. So if dating her is a part of that program that I'm in, if marrying him, if taking that job, if going to that career, if living in that place, if going to the nations gets me more of Jesus, then I'm in. Just get me more of him. Give me more of the person of wisdom that begins to pattern my life around how God designed it to work. This is wisdom. And so the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about wisdom in decision-making, How does the person of wisdom affect the decisions that you really have to make? Because you have to make some. And then the third week, we're going to talk about how the person of wisdom begins to shape sexuality. How the person of wisdom begins to shape our understanding of how sexuality is intended by God. But tonight as we close, here's, here's the point of reflection I want to bring you to. So if it's true... That growing in wisdom isn't so much learning something new as it is becoming obedient to what you know. Where tonight are you bypassing the person of wisdom for something else? Where tonight are you bypassing the rest made available to you by Jesus? Where are you bypassing the truth, the life, and the way given to you by Jesus for something else? Maybe to say it one other way, where has Jesus already spoken to you about an area of your life that you're neglecting that to get some other new word from him? Growing in wisdom is becoming obedient to what you already know. Would we hear afresh the great invitation of Jesus? Come follow me. Let's pray together. God, thank you for tonight. And uh, gosh, I'm so grateful for your son that you don't expect me to have to run around all over this world trying to find life, trying to understand stuff and trying to figure out my way. God, you have already given us a way. You've already given us a word and you've already led us in truth to Jesus, your son. 
God, I pray that tonight by the power of your spirit over the next week, you would help him or help us to see him as he really is. And that's beautiful. Help us to see Jesus as he really is, the all-surpassing pleasure of this life. God, help us to see Jesus as everything we're really looking for. And God, if there's someone here tonight who doesn't know Jesus, who's trying to find the good life, who's trying to find a way forward, I pray by the power of your spirit now, you would you would compel them toward your son, Jesus. Would you cause them to believe? God, and would you lead them to find someone in this room? Would you lead them to find someone in part of this ministry to begin asking the question, how can I follow Jesus? In your presence, God, is the fullness of joy and there are pleasures forever at your right hand. Help us agree with that, God. We confess it's true. In Jesus' name.